How long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need, indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign, and they handle the rest, sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger. Well, maybe except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring them your next home product and they will bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com to get started. You are now tuned in to Hollywood Ways with Doug and Breezy. Oh, hey, Ted. I know that you like the lies, know you like the way it shines. There's no other place you'd rather be. This is how we do it in Hollywood. Hollywood this is how we do it. Welcome to Hollywood Ways. I'm Doug Ellen. We got a great guest coming up, but just a little update. First draft of this new show is done, and I'm going independent, as I said before. But anyway, we got a showrunner who's also uh, an entrepreneur and uh, really is doing a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about on this show. So I think it's a great story to talk about. But Bentley Evans, how you doing? I'm fantastic, man. Thank you for having me. So what's going on with you? You you show ran Martin. You I just found out we're in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Hollywood Shuffle, the Robert Townsend and and I guess Keenan did too, which I knew Keenan was in it. I didn't know he wrote the script as well. But yeah. uh, tell me how you got started in this business. You're from Oakland and, and what was the beginning of it? Well, I'm I'm born in the Bay. I'm raised in LA. I did all my school time right here in LA and Never really had a desire to do anything other than this. I, I thought maybe I wanted to be in real estate following in the footsteps of my dad, but wasn't in the cards. Uh, I do a lot of kids, uh, Todd Bridges. <laughs> Remember him from different schools? Of course I do. Yeah. Wait, what do you do what with Todd Bridges? Well, he was he grew up in my neighborhood, so it was like – you know, seeing him on TV and seeing this rise with him and Gary Coleman, you know, you you kind of wanted to do that. And I had another friend that was in the Die Hard movie, uh, this kid named DeVorier White. And he was, that was on, the limo driver. He was the limo yeah, driver. You yeah. got it. You got it. And he was like one of my best friends in school. So Argyle. I, Argyle. That's right. On, on head of the class. And I never wanted to. You know, tell him that I wanted to be in the business because you didn't want to rain on his parade or you would have stopped getting the invites. Right. <laughs> so but I really secretly wanted to be in the business my, you know, my whole time in high school and stuff. And so after high school, I did the junior college tour. So I went from West L.A. to Santa Monica to El Camino. And it was like, OK, this college is not working out. for me, man. <laughs> it's just not going to work. And so a friend of mine introduced me to Robert Townsend just on a whim and said, man, we should be actors, man. We, we should get in, in show business. And I was like, actors? That, that don't even sound right. Well, that sounds corny. How the heck are we going? Where do you sign up for acting? <laughs> so you're not doing theater. You're not writing in high school. Nothing. No, man. My yeah. sister was like the, the theater person <laughs> and I thought it was corny and it was like, nah, I'm not doing that. But I really re- wanted to do it, but just too ashamed to, or embarrassed to, you know, uh, put my ego aside and do it. And so, um, you know, but once I met Robert, I set foot on the set of Hollywood Shuffle. We were shooting not far from here. And when I walked on the set, I knew that I had to do this with this type of environment for the rest of my life. And Robert handed me the script. Now, as stupid as it sounds, he hands me the script to Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, he says, read it from cover to cover. <laughs> in so front said, of him. In front of him. That's what I do. I just made Kevin Connolly read his, my script in front of me. So. That's, that's right. Kevin, yeah. read the script, man. <laughs> so I, I, I read this thing from cover to cover. Robert's like, what do you think? I said, wow, you, you put these words on the paper? And he goes, 
yeah, that's writing. And I was like, <laughs> that's what I want to do. He goes, ah, slow down, buddy. It's a lot that you have to do before you can just do that. Uh, what you should do, just do is continue to help me out as a PA in a sense, and I'll, I'll show you the ropes. And basically, I spent two years with Robert, never got a paycheck. I did everything they asked me to do. And but that's unbelievable to get involved with someone who's going to do something that good. And again, like let's talk Hollywood Shuffle, which we've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times, which, like I said, independent movie, I think it cost $100,000 and made Robert Townsend's career and got all of them, Keenan and uh, David Allen Greer and others, rolling after that movie. Absolutely. But when you read it, obviously it was making a statement that's pretty relevant today as well about the the parts and the availability to roles for African-American actors. So when you were reading it, were you like, oh, this is something more than just a funny comedy? Or what did you think? No, because I was too young to really understand the statement that it was making. I just thought it was funny. Now, of course, watching it afterwards, of course, you saw it and it saw it in uh, on the big screen and you realize, wow, this is a statement. But when you're when we're making it, it was just a lot of fun. It was like trying to find myself. What am I going to do with my life? And so no, I didn't. I didn't look at it, you know, from the uh, intellectual side of it. I looked at it from a comedic uh, side, and and going back and seeing it years later, I do realize what was happening. Now, once we finished, and I started furthering my career as an actor. Then I, then I saw the relevance of the film. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody who hasn't seen this movie, you need to watch it immediately. And I, I, I've said it before. So we read this movie in college at the time when, you know, if you don't bring your VHS tape back, <laughs> you know, remember they would <laughs> fine you like a thousand bucks. Yes. And I swear to you, I used to get high every night in college and watch this movie for probably a hundred days in a row. I knew every single line of it. And to find out that you were one of the, the killer pimps in that scene is, is pretty wild now. But everybody should check this movie out but your introduction to hollywood which is amazing you meet robert townsend i didn't get that that lucky when i started and he starts really letting you into the whole process and the whole thing how it goes yeah you know because it was an independent film so there were no rules there was no studio there was nobody to tell him what to do so he kind of just did it his own way so had it been a studio film there's no way i would have got the keys to the castle to see the behind the scenes i mean literally I was taking the tape rolls, the film rolls, and taking them to have them developed in the middle of the night. And they're telling me, you better get there. And you call me when you get there from a payphone and let me know. Yeah, don't lose that, that. All that stuff. So That's awesome. Yeah, it was. I was doing all of that stuff. And I mean, we had no permits to shoot the movie. We're on standing on corners with walkie-talkies, letting them know when police cars are coming and stuff. And shut it down. It's a college film. That's what we're saying. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And do you realize you're working with, I mean, you know, Keenan and David Allen. I forget who else is in it. I mean, these are some of the great comedy guys of the next 20, 30 years that yeah. follow. Did you realize how good they were at the time? Well, you knew they were good, but you didn't know who they were. You, we didn't know who Damon Wayans was yet. We didn't know who John Witherspoon was, other than the fact that we had seen him on the Richard Pryor show years uh, prior to that. But we still didn't know the magnitude of the actors and actresses we were working with on that on that show. And so many of them, Paul Mooney, they've gone on to do big, big, big things in their careers. So, no, it was just a lot of fun and very funny people. But while we were making it, a lot of them were doing stand-up uh, at this little place we used to go to called uh, the Comedy Act Theater where Robin Harris, where his career was spawned from. Wow. So you, you would see them do their stand-up, but you knew you were a part of something special. Okay, so you do this two years with Robert, and, and then what? What's your next move? The next move was the, the, the one good thing that came out of that was Robert said, I never paid you, I couldn't pay you, but I'm going to get you your SAG card. And I knew enough about 
what a sad car was to be excited about that. So that was a fair exchange. But then when the, sh- when the movie sold to Samuel Goldwyn company, all the actors got Taft Hartley. And we also got, um, I think I, I got the biggest check that I had ever seen in my life, which was probably like maybe 2,500 bucks or something like that. And it just blew my mind. I went and bought a car and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I got to be Keenan's stand in on I'm a get you sucker. Right. Right. And of course, I got a speaking role in the movie that ended up on the editing room floor, but I got a check. <laughs> and so, you know, I got a chance to do that. And then that kind of sealed my relationship with the Wayans family. And then so Sean and Marlon, they come to town and we become fast friends. And from that point on, I was an honorary Wayans, you know. That's pretty cool. And and so what are you trying to do? Are you trying to act exclusively or are you starting to write as well? No, you know, I wanted to write at that point in time, but I was acting because I was always told that this is the way that you get on the sets and you get the scripts and you meet the producers by acting. (laughs) And then you can parlay that into the whole writing. A real career. Yeah. (laughs) But but, but here's the thing. I started booking roles, man, as an actor. You know, I'm a gangly looking kid. I'm 18, 19 years old. I'm 6'5". I'm getting every basketball role that I go up for, <laughs> but I can't play ball. <laughs> right. Right? And so, but I'm getting the roles and everything and really starting to make a name for myself around town with the casting directors. And then I end up getting a, a, a big audition where I'm screen testing against a guy named Martin Lawrence. And for what? For this show called A Little Bit Strange. And Martin and I were up for the same role. Now, you know, Martin's five foot seven. I'm six foot five. Why are we up for the same role? I have no clue. But we were up for the same role and he ends up, ends up getting the role. But we became friends at this audition. So it was kind of like, you You're know, just a likable guy because not everybody becomes friends with everybody at these things. Usually there's competition between the actors trying to get the same role. So how do you become friends at, a, at an audition where you're competing for it? So it was, it was interesting. So, you know, you remember the, the days, I, I think they still do it, when you screen test, you're there all day. Yeah. And so they make you sign a contract and you're there waiting for them to make the decisions. And I remember Martin coming over to me and saying, hey, man, what are you doing for lunch? And I was like, I, I don't have any plans. And I was like, that's nice. Because I knew who he was already. He was doing stand up yeah. and he had done what's happening now. And so I knew who he was. And he said, you want to go to Taco Bell? <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's, you know, let's go get them tacos, right? It's taquitos. So we go to Taco Bell. And uh, from that point, you know, Martin's like, man, I'm new in town. I don't know anybody here. And I'm like, well, why don't you come over to my parents' house for uh, Thanksgiving? <laughs> he comes over and we just hit a, a solid friendship. And what happens when he gets that part? Um, so he called me and he said, I just want you to know I got the role. I'm just letting you know. But it was unfair. His manager was one of the producers. <laughs> you know, they had it all. You know, it was they, loaded from the beginning. Come on, man. It was loaded. But uh, he did make me a promise that day. And you don't see this happening too much. He said, whichever one of us makes it first, we're going to look out for the other one. Wow. I said, I like that. I like that. Uh, I want to get into like more of uh, this entrepreneurial stuff that you're doing now, producing and, and directing. So we'll be back right after this. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Ways. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We're going to take a quick break to talk about something very important. You. Think about this for a minute. We get our car service to prevent bigger issues down the road. We work out and visit the doctor to prevent injury and disease in our bodies. We see the dentist for our teeth to prevent cavities and other issues. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It's routine maintenance for 
for your mental and emotional wellness. We both know about the stresses of life, and we also know that it's not good to keep things bottled up inside of you. That's where our friends at BetterHelp come in. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You can get all the benefits of therapy without leaving the comfort of your home. BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and right now, our Hollywood Ways listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Hollywood. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Hollywood. All right, welcome back, Hollywood Ways. I was just, you know, in, in between the break, I'm thinking about, I just want to go a little further with, with Martin. Martin is going to go do his own show. And, yeah. And, and when does your writing career start? I haven't heard anything about writing. Okay, so so uh, this this agent that I had at the time, uh, this guy named Desmond Gums, and he he uh, he kept telling me, man, you know what? In your, in your downtime when you're not auditioning, you know what you should do? You should watch what's on TV and write scripts. So I started... In my spare time, just writing scripts. I'm still living at home with my mom and dad. For shows you liked. Oh, yeah. For sure. Everything that was on the air that I liked, I'm like, oh, let me see if I can write a version of that. So I would call the studios and have them mail me scripts. And I started writing my own scripts. So now it's very interesting. You said House Party 2. Uh, they were shooting at Union Station. Remember that? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, Martin was Martin was shooting at Union Station and... The day before he was doing a scene, he we, he and I went to a Clippers game, and that's that's a faux pas. I'm a Laker fan, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. We're going to the uh, to the the Clippers game, and on the way, Martin says to me, "Hey, man, you know they're talking. HBO's talking about doing something with me with my career. They want to do some sort of show. If it happens, I don't want you to say that I didn't look out. So tell me now." Do you want to audition? Do you, I mean, what do you want to do? And I said, if you really want to help me out, I want to be a writer. And he said, what? <laughs> he said, I said, a writer. He goes, come on. His exact words. He says, come on, man. That's what the white guys do. You, you, you <laughs> I swear to God, that's what he said. And I said, no, that's what I want to do. I Very want to be racist. a writer, yeah. man. So, so, um, he says, all right, man. Well, you know, you got to show me something. So the next day I take him a bunch of scripts that I had written to Union Station. He's shooting House Party 2. I leave him in his dressing room. He calls me the next day on a Saturday and he says, I'm sorry, bro. I had no idea. I didn't know you were this talented. Come to my house. I want to go over these scripts with you. And so that was the beginning. So what What else? How else does he help this career get going? Yeah. This is Martin Lawrence we're talking about. Yeah. You know, uh, rarely do you hear those great stories about what somebody did for someone else. And I can tell you that, you know, this guy was like an angel in my career. Uh, he took it to a level that I could have never gotten to by myself or would have taken a long time. What he did was in the process of them trying to put this Martin show together, which they didn't even have an idea yet. But Martin calls me and says, look, man, I'm going to 20th Century Fox. We're going to be on the lot. You need to come with me to this meeting. So I ride with him to Fox and, you know, I'm blown away by the offices and everything. It's just, you know, it's a mind, you know, it's crazy. And we get to this office and we go into this room this office and there's a secretary. She says, uh, Martin, they're waiting for you. Your friend can wait here outside. So Martin <laughs> says, what are you talking about? He can wait outside. And I said, Hey man, no, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll wait here. He goes, no, 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 no. What, what, what are you talking about? He can't come in. So she says, well, 
let me get Mr. Albrecht. So he, she goes in and she gets Chris Albrecht and he comes to the door. I had never seen him before. And he's got this little, this little <laughs> sergeant type of attitude. And he goes, Martin, what's up? They're, they're waiting for you. What's going on? He goes, yeah, they said that my friend can't come in. And he goes, yeah, well, he can't. I mean, you, he's going to sit right, right here. <laughs> so Martin says, hey, f- that, Chris, these exact words. He says, if he doesn't come in this f- room, I'm not coming in the room. Now, that's just what it is. And so Chris is like, all right, well, bring him in. So now, Real now, entourage there. Right. So now I'm in this room, and it's all these execs. Everybody's got on suits and ties. And there's John Bowman, who actually ultimately created the show, and Martin's uh, manager, Topper. And they're all sitting there. And Martin says, yeah, so this is Bentley, and he's going to create my show. And they said, no, <laughs> no, that's not how it works here, Martin. He's not going to create your show. So they put me on, on blast. They were like, so what have you written so far? And I said, well, you know, I got a, I got a spec script for Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Keenan's talking about letting me write some sketches on In Living Color. I mean, I got a couple of things that they were like, yeah, okay. So, but I'm looking at Martin, I'm trying to read him and he's angry. He's not happy about this at all. So after the introduction to John and John kind of introduces the idea of what the Martin show could be, uh, Martin's in agreement. Everybody's in agreement. I'm quiet, sitting back. And so we leave. Now, when we're, when we're, when we're leaving the lot, Martin's not speaking to me the whole time walking to the car and we get to the car and I said, Hey man, look, I really appreciate what you did, man, but don't, don't fuck up your opportunity trying to look out for me. And he looked at me and he, he pointed, he poked me in the chest with his finger and he said, fuck you don't ever say nothing like that to me. I'm looking out for you. Don't ever, you know, look at me and say that you, you don't, cause maybe you don't want it. He said, maybe you don't want it. I'm looking out for you. So you go with me. If I say this is what we're doing, you ride with it. And I got it was a valuable lesson because I didn't really understand what he was saying until later on. He was basically saying, I'm looking out for you. This is I'm bringing you along for the ride. So but I think he was also saying, because I think that's what some people mistake, that a friendship can just lead to work. I think he was also saying, I believe in you. You better believe in yourself. And the fact that he was that confident with it when they're bringing all these professional writers in front of him is is amazing. You know, and I feel the same way. You know, Schwimmer did the same thing. He got he got to host SNL. He's like, yo, you want to come with me and uh, you'll you'll punch up sketches. Now, it went a little different in our meeting because we got to SNL and uh, I was in the writers room with them, but nobody was talking to me and there was no conversation like, no, no, my guy's writing everything that didn't happen. But I think the fact is David believed in me before possibly I even believed in myself. And I think it's the same with you. So it's, it's amazing that Martin was that confident with it. He was. Know? And I had that same experience. He took me to do Saturday night live with right. him. And I, I, I went through the whole thing with Sandler and, 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 uh, uh Chris and, and, uh, you know, all, all of the guys, Dave Chappelle was there as a writer at the time wow. in the writer's room. And, and, uh, so I went through that experience and some of my sketches actually made it, but that was a tough room with Lauren Michaels. That was a tough room. Yeah. But yeah. that's cool though. I mean, I, I just think, I, I just think it's a great story. And then you got involved with, with Jamie Foxx too, like at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, Jamie, uh, I, I got a deal over at Warner Brothers while I was doing the Martin show. Uh, my agents said, Hey, we're going to get you this, this overall deal. I didn't even know what an overall deal was. I was like, Oh, great. That sounds good. <laughs> overall. Great. Okay. So they take me on the tour. I go see every studio head in LA and we landed Warner Brothers and they said, Hey, look, we want to do a deal with you. So they offered me this two year deal. And the first person's name I saw on the roster was Jamie Foxx. I had met Jamie a few times, but I knew he was making a name for himself 
on In Living Color. And I said, that's the guy I want to work with. And they were like, yeah, well, you know what? He, we already have him with another showrunner. <laughs> another white guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's a look look for somebody else. And I was like, can you just set up a meeting with me? Can I just get a meeting with him? So they set me up with him and his uh, managers. And, you know, I went into in the meeting and, you know, I could tell he wasn't feeling me at all. He <laughs> right. was so quiet. So I just, I said, hey, I'm not getting the gig. So I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want to say. And I was like, hey, man, you know what? I do this shit for Martin, man. You know, you're probably not feeling me, man, but you know, I'm the best that could, you know, the best person, you know, the candidate to write a show for you. But if you don't see that, man, whatever. And so I leave the meeting and my agent calls me and, and he said, Hey, what, what happened in that meeting? I said, man, I fucked up. And he goes, no, no, no. They want to see you again. Jamie says, come back to Warner brothers now. So I come back down Barham and I meet Jamie in the parking lot at Warner brothers. And he's like, Hey man, you said something that was really interesting to me in that meeting. And I said, what was that? He goes, I liked your confidence and you said something that I couldn't really relate to. I said, what was it? He goes, you said that you didn't grow up poor. You grew up rich. I said, well, you know, I said, I grew up nigger rich, which is black people rich, but that ain't really rich. That's like, you're doing good for black folks, but that's not really good. He said, man, you know, I grew up really, really poor, but I've never really talked to anybody who had your story. You said your father drove Lincoln Continentals and stuff. I said, yeah, man, we didn't, I don't know that experience. I never lived in the projects. We lived in what they call Black Beverly Hills now. That's <laughs> where I came up. And he was like, I love that about you, man. I think we can do something together. Wow. And so from that day on, we started developing for Warner Brothers. So your black privilege helped See, you. my black privilege helped me, <laughs> see. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and then you start, you, did you create that show? Or? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I created the show with Jamie. Um, I started writing drafts of ideas and everything that I turned in, he hated right away. And then he said, you know, I, I just want to do something about a hotel. And I said, what else? He goes, you figure that out. <laughs> and so I just started jotting down ideas and coming up with treatments and synopsises. And finally he says, I like that. Put the characters together. And I put the characters together. We go into David Janilari over at Warner Brothers at the time. And he goes, I love this. Let's let's take this thing out. So now we take it to ABC, NBC, CBS, the WB, which had just started. ABC makes us the first deal. They said, hey, look, we'll do the show. We'll do a we'll do a pilot script deal with you. And so WB comes and says, we'll do a guaranteed six episodes on air guarantee. And I was like, "That's we got to do that. Jamie's managers, no, no, we want to be with ABC. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's be the big fish in the small pond over here at the WB. We'll last for five years. And that's what happened. And so no. you're, you work with them for five years on this show. Yeah. Do you think like... I'm working with a guy who's going to be a legend, a guy who can do anything or are you like, yeah, he's funny. He's great for this part. Or what are you thinking? I had no idea he'd be who he is today. However, I did know that he was immensely talented. He used to do imitations of everybody. And before he did Ray, he wanted to do Marvin Gaye and he does a spot on Marvin Gaye impression, but uh, he ended up doing Ray. But where he really broke out was when he did any given Sunday and I had to create a schedule that would allow him to free up from from the show to go do that movie because Oliver Stone, oh, those stories are crazy. <laughs> but Oliver Stone was like, no, we don't want you. You're a sitcom star and we don't want you. So so basically I had to help, you know, kind of tailor this, you know, this uh, schedule to, to work it out. And we were successful in doing that so he could get away for a month and go shoot and then come back and then go shoot. 
and it worked out for him, and that's what made him a big star any given Sunday. Yeah, I mean, and uh, did you? So you got Oliver Stone stories behind the scenes of what it was like with him? Oh uh, yeah, you know, Jamie tells the greatest stories about how he had to audition for the role uh, six times, and every time he came in there, you know, Oliver Stone would say, "You throw throw a football like a bitch. You're not getting this role. You're a sitcom star. I don't think you're funny. You're not even good." You know, he just he just tore him up. You know, he's snorting coke and shit in the meetings and stuff like that. And so, you know, it, just, it takes Fox to tell the stories because he's absolutely the greatest storyteller I've ever met in my life. Yeah, I mean, he's he's amazing. It's I watch those videos of him doing 15 different impressions yeah. in 30 seconds. It's mind-boggling how yeah. talented it is. All right, well, we're going to talk about some of your talents when we come back, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Hollywood this. Hollywood that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Let me ask you a question. How many paid subscriptions do you have right now? And how many of these subscriptions have you forgotten about? I had AOL for almost a decade when I never used it, and I kept paying and paying because it was on my credit card. If you're consistently paying too much money a year in subscription services, it is time for you to try something new. And our friends at Truebill have the answer. Do you know why free trials renew without consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save 720 bucks a year on Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscription with one tap. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Hollywood Ways. Go right now. Truebill.com slash Hollywood Ways. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Hollywood Ways. Remember when CBD came out? It was all the rage. We all wanted it to be like cannabis. And it wasn't. It helps with some things, but you don't exactly feel it. Our friends over at CBDX.com felt the same way, so they went all in on Delta 8 THC. Prepare to have your mind blown. All of the goodness at CBDX.com is federally legal form of THC. You will absolutely feel it. They have tasty flour, which is just like the cannabis you know and love. They have strong but discreet vape cartridges, absurdly potent gummies, and even pure concentrates. These will get you stoned. So remember, never drive or operate heavy machinery when using these products, and they will show up as THC on a drug test. Go to CBDX.com. That's four letters, CBDX, and use the code HWAYZ. You will get 20% off and a free gift. That's CBDX.com and use HWAYZ. If you live in a state where cannabis is legal, this is a lot easier than going to the dispensary and cheaper than paying all those taxes. If you live in a state where cannabis isn't legal, this is a no-brainer. Forget those sketchy handoffs. Get yourself some gummies or a vape. You will be blown away that this is legal and shipped directly to you. All right, welcome back, Hollywood Ways and uh, Bentley Evans. So what I really want to talk to you about is, you know, Tyler Perry's built this production studio in Atlanta that's like a billion-dollar industry, and you're doing this, or we're doing it, even before him here. So I want to hear about them. Well, you know, the thing about Tyler... Uh um, he, I met Tyler Perry uh, some years ago. At, he was doing a show at the Kodak Theater. And I had been hearing about this guy out of Atlanta that's doing these black stage plays uh, on the Chitlin circuit. And he's making millions of dollars. And I read that he made $50 million. And so it got my mind thinking. I'm like, whoa, 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 50 million. What the hell? What am I doing with my life? Right. <laughs> and so, so Tyler is like, uh, the, I, I get an invite to go see him at the Kodak. So I go see this stage play. I'm sitting in the audience and I'm going, 
this is some bullshit. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I'm not knocking what Tyler's doing, but I'm going, it's so simple. And basically, it's it's the Jamie Foxx show. It's a hotel. And he's just doing like a college reunion with this character, Madea. Afterwards, I go backstage and I stand in line to meet Tyler Perry. When I walk up to him, I, I shake his hand. I say, hey, man, I'm, I'm Bentley Evans. I just wanted to say hello to you, man, and meet you. And he goes, I know who you are. I said, you know who I am? How, how do you know me? This is before Instagram and any social media. So I'm like, how do you know me? He goes, I've been following you. I want to be just like you. And I said, well, I just read you made 50 million dollars. <laughs> I'm trying to be like you. Let's switch places. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he goes, no, no, but you have something that I don't have, and that's TV. I want the TV. I said, well, you, you know, you can't just pimp TV like that. That's a, that's a whole different thing. And he goes, watch me. So I'm walking away going, this dude's a trip. He's crazy. If he thinks he could just walk into TV like that. Six months later, I'm watching, coming to TV, it's Tyler Perry's uh, House of Pain. And I'm going, he fucking did it. How did that, how did that happen? Now, that one he did on his own, too, already? Yeah. So basically, he took his own money and he invested it in himself. Uh, he created these episodes. I believe he shot 10 episodes. And he went to uh, a few different places to kind of shop it around. Wasn't a lot of people interested in it, but he had a deal with Lionsgate for his movies. So he said, hey, look, you guys got to figure out a TV thing or I'm taking my movie somewhere else. So Lionsgate hired Debmar Mercury, uh, a syndication company. They bought that company for Tyler. And then they showed Tyler and Lionsgate how to distribute a show uh, on a syndicated network. And so that's that's how that whole thing happened. And they were able to strike a deal with Fox and TBS. And the next thing, you know, Tyler's got a hundred episodes of that show. And then there's another show and now he's just making shows and hundreds and hundreds of episodes later. So were you looking at this model and going, okay, I want to do it in LA or what? Yeah. Yeah. So, but not only that, I had to get the golden ticket to go to Tyler Perry studio so I could see for my own self. <laughs> What's going on back there? <laughs> but my agent calls and says, you know, this Tyler Perry guy. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him. And he said, look, they're doing something in Atlanta. I'll submit your name if you want to go down there and write some scripts or some shit. Well, at the time, I was like, man, it's a writer's guild strike. I need some money. <laughs> so I go down to Atlanta. I go to Tyler's studio. This is his first studio before the massive one that he has now. But I go there, and I'm impressed as <laughs> Tyler Perry Studios and water coming down the sign. And I'm like, what the hell? This is crazy. And so I meet with Tyler. Uh, we have a good conversation. He says, hey, man, I'm doing this show. Meet the Browns. If you want to write some scripts while you're in town, hey, man, I'll pay you like, you know, 25000 a pop. I'm like, 50 grand. Yeah, yeah, I'm sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I hung out in Atlanta for about three weeks. I'm working at Tyler Perry Studio every day. It made me open up my eyes to see that I could do something like this myself. When I come back, I just started like trying to come up with some ideas of based on some stuff that I saw as a kid. I loved Mary Tyler Moore, Moore show. And I said, maybe I'll do a Mary Tyler Moore show type of thing with a black lead. And I partnered up with my business partner, this guy named Trent Gums. And I said, look, we could, we could really do this thing. And so Raphael said we could shoot at his music studio. So we made sets in a music studio. We built set walls in a garage. So you have no distributor whatsoever. You're making this independent TV show. Nothing. Okay. We said, if you build it, they will come. And so I got a couple of dollars that I scraped up, and I was at the Lakers game, and I saw 
a producer named Jeff Franklin. Do you know Jeff Franklin? I, he's, he's my ex-wife's cousin. But yeah. Oh, is he really? Yeah, full house. Yeah. So Jeff is at the Lakers game, and I see him at halftime. I said, Jeff, what's up? And he was like, hey, what's going on? I said, you, you want to get back into TV? He goes, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I said, no, 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 <laughs> let's, let's talk. So he, he asked me to come up to the house. And so I go have lunch with Jeff, and he goes, what do you need from me? I said, you got a couple hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I know you got a couple hundred million from Full House. Right. You got a couple hundred you can give me? Exactly. So he says, well, you know what? If you show me some scripts, maybe I'll get down with you. And I, I showed him 10 scripts. I said, I wrote all 10 of these scripts. I believe in it, Jeff. We can get this thing on. I, I tell him who Tyler Perry is. I'm trying to sell him on this whole thing. He says, well, I don't believe you can do 10 episodes. But if you say that you'll do four, do your best four out of the 10 and I'll give you a couple of hundred grand. Wow. He gave me a couple of hundred. He wired it into my account the next day. I was like, we're rolling, guys. Let's get these sets built. And it's multicam? Multicam. So you shot four episodes of this multicam show with no distributor. Four episodes of this show. And Nia did it? Nia did not do it. So, so I found, So the day that Nia was out, a friend of mine came to me and said, do you know Tatiana Ali uh, from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? And I was like, I've never met her. But I remember when she was a kid, I used to see her at the set all the time. And so I explained to her what I'm doing. You know, she's a smart chick. She went to Harvard. She's a real sharp one. And she says, I get it. Let's partner on this thing. So I said, cool. So she comes on and we cast everyone else. And a lot of the people that we cast have gone on to do big things. But Tatiana was with it. So you shoot these four shows. <laughs> yeah. You were happy with the product? Yeah. I mean, I was, it was probably the most I was the most proud of those four episodes out of anything else I had ever done after the hundreds of episodes of Martin and Jamie, because I, the pride was I did it myself yeah. and it was like a wake up, like how the hell, why didn't you think of this before? Yeah. And you know, cameras are cheap now. And so you could really get that same look uh, very, you could achieve the same thing very easily now. And so what do you do with it? What's the first move? I hook up with Byron Allen, you know, Byron. Yeah, Allen is. of course. So I hook oh, up yeah. with Byron, and Byron's like, hey, Bentley, yeah, I'll take him out for you, but uh not going to give you any money. I'm like, I got to pay these investors back. What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, hey, I don't know, but I need to. I need you to sign something giving me the rights for two years. I'm like, Byron, are you out of your mind? I can't do that. So he's like, oh, I don't know what to tell you then. So I leave Byron, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with these things. And then a friend of mine <laughs> came to me and said, hey, what about TV One? I'm like, TV One, the little small cable station? He goes, it's better than nothing. Set, he sets up a meeting. I fly, me and Trent, we fly to uh, where, Baltimore. Right. And we go there, and I'm telling the people, hey, man, look, we got these shows. And this lady, she's like, <laughs> we ain't trying to do that Tyler Perry shit here. <laughs> I said, no, no, this is not Tyler Perry stuff. This is, this is a good show that I created. And anyway, I had to sell her on it. She wasn't interested. She says, well, we don't have the money for that. I said, is that right? Well, how can you turn down free and she says, free? What are, you, what are you talking about free? I said, I'm willing to take a bet on my shows. I'll give them to you. You can play them for free. But if they hit a certain number, you guys just have to agree to do more. And so she, they said, okay, well, yeah, okay, we'll do that. So now we set up for this launch. TV One's going to do their little small marketing campaign. But what they did have was they had a radio station called Radio One. And a lot of people listened to it. So they used their radio stations to promote it. And when we premiered in 2010, January, it was the biggest thing that they had ever done on the network. And the, and the advertisers started coming in. They were like, can you make more? <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So 
They ordered 26 more from me. Wow. And then it's like, okay, now we got this thing going on. And now we need to get some a place to shoot it because we were shooting at uh, the guy that owns Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. <laughs> <laughs> he had this little space, and he was letting us shoot there. Was he the cinematographer as well? No, he wasn't the cinematographer. <laughs> but he was just this old cat. Yeah, you guys can shoot over here. And he was like, yeah, it was just, it was a nightmare. We didn't like shooting there. So Trent came up with the idea, hey, man, look, let's let's build our own studio. So when TV One says, hey, where are you going to shoot this? We were like, oh, we have a place. <laughs> uh, just send us the money. We're going to pay for that. And we use that money to build our and studio. And did they give you a real budget? Yeah, they gave us. A, I mean, not in sitcom money. Mode, no, but, not yeah, but enough, to, enough, enough to make it worth your time and do it, and yes. then build the studio that you now have eleven years yes. later. Yes, that's unbelievable. So, how many episodes total did you do with that show? Sixty-five. I did sixty-five. We needed thirty-five more to get to that hundred mark, and they just weren't willing to go any further. But the sixty-five episodes are still playing, and we're still receiving, you know, residuals and everything. That's, so it's that's cool. incredible. Yeah. And, and then now you got your own studio. So do you start going, okay, let's do it again and yep. again and again? Yep. And, yep. And, and how many times have you done this? Yeah. Oh, so I've done it again about six times. So I, I created this show uh, called Family Time. I take that over to this new network, Bounce TV, when it was starting. We ended up doing 91 episodes there. Then I did it again with this show called In the Cut. We ended up doing 87 episodes of that. Then I did it again with this show called Grown Folks, and we only did 13 episodes of that. And you're in a position now just because this is I talk a lot about this on the show. A lot of times where people get tired of this business is dealing with all the execs. So have you maintained your ability for the last decade to just do whatever you want, whatever you want? No. So with TV One, I could do whatever I wanted to do. When I got into Bounce, it was like I was competing with their network execs. They hated me. But then going beyond i'm doing this this thing uh with uh mc light uh for the all black station which is amc network those execs they just send me the money and say turn in a product and i love it that's the best absolutely yeah that's great i'm I'm loving this this is really like an amazing story um a lot of people don't understand like independent films that you can go make tv shows yeah you can go you know you still have to go find someone who'll put it on and someone who will market it and help you with all that but it sounds like it's going great so what's what's the next plans right now i do have a network that I'm launching myself. It's a digital network. It's a streamer as well called NBT. And we're in the process of launching that, but we're targeting our audience in the Caribbean because it's an underserved market. And we know that that's comedy, comedy, right? And they've never seen content that's produced in a way that Americans produce TV, but using, uh, utilizing the talent that's there in the Caribbean. So they see their own people, on television. And so that was our business model. And so far it's really starting to blossom into something. It's very cool. Yeah. Well, Bentley, I really appreciate you coming in, man. man. I mean, this is uh, a, it's a great story and I think it inspires people and motivates people to get off their ass and kind of do their own shit, which, uh, you know, producer Ted Foxman and I, we're going to do something ourselves right now. So uh, uh, I'm excited for that, but thank you for coming in and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Absolutely. I can't wait for us to work together too, man. I want to work with you. I got an idea actually. Okay. We'll talk about it. All right. Thank you. Can, Can I produce? (laughs) 
<laughs> Hollywood Ways. We'll be back next week. Uh, I don't know what. Maybe we'll talk holiday movies or something. While, while you're talking, what is your favorite holiday movie? We'll just throw that out as, since we're approaching Christmas. My favorite holiday movie is, believe it or not, is Miracle on 34th Street. You know, it's funny because you said you were friends with the uh, guy from Die Hard. Yes. I thought you were going to say Die Hard, which is I, my favorite one. Christmas movie. But Everybody's Miracle on 34th been debating Street. whether that's even a Christmas movie. It's but. not even a debate. It's a ridiculous it's, debate. It's of course a it's a Christmas movie. It it's a great family Christmas Indeed movie. Indeed it is. It's a little violent, but you know, we love it. So, all right, thanks, Bentley. Great Thank to you. talk to you. I know that you like the lies, know you like the way it shines. There's no other place you'd rather be. This is how we do it in Hollywood. This is how we do it in Hollywood. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Started a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL, some of you have seen me on Instagram, and some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, turning topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life, former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler, Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This message is brought to you by Regeneron. If you have diabetes, listen closely because your ears could help your eyes. Excess sugar from diabetes could lead to eye damage and vision loss, even blindness, and you might not even notice it at first. So remember, now is the time to get your eyes checked. Eye care is especially important with diabetes. See a path forward with actions and potential treatment options that may help your eyes and protect against vision loss. Go see an eye care specialist and visit nowic.com to take charge of your eyesight. That is N-O-W-E-Y-E-S-E-E dot com.